Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 1, Chapter 28. We are back in the chapel after an incredibly eventful day. <laughs> yes, it's been an incredibly eventful three hours. Yes, but we have made it back to the chapel. Everybody has suffered some damage here, and we all just had to cut ourselves to prove to the chapel survivors that we weren't doppelgangers. I believe you have at least a channel left, right, Ray? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and... Um, would anyone else benefit? Everyone else here is fine, right? They're not down any hit points in the chapel. So the folks at the barricade... They have uh, to cut themselves. They have to cut too. themselves as well. So yes, they would get close when you do the channeling. Okay, great. That's four, four hit points. Johnny, just give yourself two of that. I think that was two points of damage cutting all that skin off your off your face. Fair enough. So, as we discussed, boy, many episodes ago, we will be breaking these days down when we can into eight-hour chunks. We've done our, well, we we've done our time adventuring for the day, which does leave us time to do some of those downtime activities we've been engaged in. I'm guessing, Johnny, let me know if I'm right here that Gull wants to use this day to train with Valston. Absolutely. This can be your day two of training to get that feet retrained. It's only day two. I know. I wasted so many days being sick. It's so sad. And Dora, what are you thinking you want to do with this eight hours uh, in the afternoon? Dora seeks out Tolman. Yes. And is babbling incoherently about Reynard running away and her, how she's to blame and she's lost her direction and failed and is just kind of not making a lot of sense. But she, but she doesn't want to talk to to these guys about it. She wants to talk to a neutral third party. So by this point, with the losses that we've suffered and the folks that have healed and what's gone on in the chapel, Tolman is no longer really using the chaplain's office as the playroom. They've moved all that stuff into the chapel. At this point, the children have been living in this world of horrors for several weeks. Trying to hide these dead bodies from them has started to feel like an act of futility. And now just ensuring that since we've established this idea that they don't want to be that they don't want to have ever fewer than three people together that's three people at the north barricade three people at the east barricade and then the rest are in the chapel together so he takes you back to the corner and i think he's probably taken over the corner that winter used to have up in mm. the, the north west there and sits you down and he's going to engage with this this chunk of time counseling you, and he, he uses the kids, Brenton, Maeve, and Bates, as a tool. They, they would all be very interested in being able to stroke and pet the animal, which is extremely docile when he's in your arms, mm -hmm. and would offer them up as a way of, and I know something happened with, between you and Reynard, but Reynard, Reynard is fine, and look, look how the kids, look how, look how well he responds to the children, and he, he does, he does seem to, he seems, he's still not talking to you, but he seems to take comfort from perhaps, their presence. Perhaps he will talk to them about how he is feeling. I'm sure in his way he already is. Since Reynard has an above average intelligence. Yes. And presumably Reynard also suffered some type of insanity damage. Is that all is this counseling that's going on, is it also helping Reynard? You don't have to tell me, but it's just yeah. one of those things where I was like, wait a minute, does that mean that Reynard is also Benefiting? having a chance to heal? Yeah. Thank you for the question. <laughs> you don't know the answer to that. Cool. And so that chunk of time is going to pass. I'll give you a little roll right now to see if Tolman is able to remove some of your sanity. He's done two amazing rolls so far. It's DC 15. 17 on the die here. Ooh. So that's two more points of sanity damage removed. You're down to one. Yep. Oh my oh, gosh. So that's close. Great. What are Grip and Ray doing with the rest of this day? Grip is unsure where he can be to not be a danger to others. Gull would a have potential danger to talk to him about that. He would have been like, okay, where is the safest place for you to be? So now, oh, okay, here we go. So now that Tolman has moved the kids out of the chaplain's office, you could sit in 
like the doorway of the chaplain's office and be seen from both directions of the hallway at all times, but nobody would have to get closer than 10 feet to you to get in and out of the chapel. That's probably the best solution at this point. And then when like folks would need to pass close, you could step back in and just as long as you were always visible. Uh, that That's probably- And then um, what about when it comes time for sleeping? I guess we could move everybody way against the west wall. And as we discovered in the episode where distance in the chapel mattered, uh, you know, it's it's pretty, there's like 60 feet of, of room that you could you could sleep by the, the pentagram of Asmodeus as everyone else sleeps under the watchful eyes of Phrasma. Uh, you know, the deity line on my sheet is awfully blank, so I don't think it matters very much to me. <laughs> And uh, as you're hanging out, like just sitting on the floor there, waiting for the day to pass, waiting to find out which of the many diseases you've been exposed to you might end up with, how is Grip processing this uh, fairly crazy-ass day? He's confused at having this thing that could take him down, essentially, that he has no, no way of combating in his usual ways. So that's frustrating. I wish um, we had a third cloak. I don't know, I think Grip is starting to, he's starting to wonder, okay, well, what, what's next and what ultimately can we hope to accomplish? I think there might be starting to be a little bit of being despondent mm. and he's, he's, he feels very far away from what and who he was and he feels very far away from what or who he wants to be. He doesn't know who he wants to be. He knows that forward is the only way to go, but he doesn't know what that means. Yeah. So a little, a little, little at sea, I think. Boy, and hard when you're feeling that way to have someone in the party, namely Dora, who's consistently talking about the futility of everything you're doing. And I imagine the experience of being in that cool fight, being completely frozen and oh, unable to move. Well, this is all happening right around you, not knowing whether they're going to eat you or take down the rest of the party while you watch. That's uh, uh, there's a. Uh, that is a nightmare right there. Yup. What is Ray doing with this day? Ray is trying to clean himself. Ray's covered in gore and he is disturbed by it. Um, so he's putting his focus on that. In his head, he's running through this relationship with this woman that might be his mother, probably is his mother. But what? which personality? The one that told you to kill a unicorn? Right, and even seemed to claim me. She called me boy or something. Yeah. And Baby boy. Baby boy. Yeah. And I did make a choice to try and climb up that window right when Dora ran off. And uh, I didn't go to protect her. You sure did. So that's all resonating. Plus, I've got that vibrating cell phone in my pocket. Um, <laughs> Phylactery. The yes. phylactery of scorn. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, what what's going on there for Ray is he has so little knowledge of uh, having any relationship with Shaylin and knowing about religion in general, very little knowledge. So he's feeling like, why, why do I seem to be, why would I have any devotion to a being or to a deity? that is offering me no guidance here. All it's, all this is, the, the only guidance I'm getting is wrong, bad, you know, but I'm not getting shown uh, guidance, a light. So that's where, that's, he's feeling kind of bitter and unsure of himself. Another thing that Grip is wrestling with is the comfort that he tried to extend to Dora. He felt that something that it needed to be done, it's not a role he's used to, and he feels, I think he feels a little resentful that he had to try to do that. Like, I think occasion, there's always still, occasionally there's a little bubble that will come up of Gruck Riptusk. Yeah. And he knows that he's been afflicted. Like, he knows that he knows something happened to his mind. And, and he knows that something has happened to Dora's mind. And he, there's a part of him that's like, well, we have to, we have to try to fix it. But there's also a part of him that when she ran off after that fox, what he really wanted to do was shake her and go, what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. But he didn't feel he could do it. So he's he's also battling 
battling that a little bit, too. A little denmanism. Yeah, eyeing Denman out of the corner <laughs> of your eye. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Ray, you're probably eyeing Tolman out of the corner of your eye across the way, giving comfort to Dora and, you know, maybe reflecting on the brief bit of comfort he was able to provide you. And, you know, you did, you did have someone who was willing to reach out with some sort of positive support uh, at a moment where at a moment where he was actually looking for encouragement. That's right. You gave it to him and he gave it to you in return. And as you look across the, the chapel and you see Dora surrounded by children. And I'm wiping viscera yes. and gore yes. off my body. You can decide for yourself if you see a moment of beauty happening there amidst the horror. But you do specifically notice as uh, in this moment, Brenton takes out his shadow lantern, which you might recall uh, then casts the shape of birds, birds flying across the room, around the whole chapel there, and I'm sure, yes, the kind of light bulb that just went off on all your faces does go off on Ray's. I don't think Dora would notice uh, in the state that she's in at the moment, but for sure, Ray would. Gull is out training with Faustin. That goes smoothly, and as you finish the end of your training and Tolman finishes up, the end of his time with Dora and everyone settling into the chapel. I know that we don't have a winter anymore, so we don't have somebody that we come back to and sort of report. Yeah. But Vostin is sort of the closest thing to that. And Nasa. Yeah, you could so easily. We, I figured during this time, I'm also kind of very quietly letting him know this is where the ghouls are, and we found a gigantic camp of like 40, 50 people. Some might be patients, some might be staff. We didn't have a chance to talk to them. There seems to have been another patient there by the name of Urban. Yeah. Elburn. Elburn. Elburn, who is pretending to be a doctor uh, and was a patient. I don't know if anybody here would know him, but he's sort of like our guy on the inside there. And, you know, mention the bag lady. And if anybody knows about her or what she's capable of here. So Nasa would be with you to join in this kind of reporting as they're they're sort of playing co-leaders here. Right. And Nasa would immediately be like, oh, oh, well, she's, uh, oh, she's right bad business. She is, uh, she's a cold-blooded killer. And uh, it was quite a to-do to uh, find out ways to keep her calm down and keep her not uh, murdering people without doing the magic and the restraints and all that stuff on her. Uh, they, they had some success over the years, but uh, she's, uh, Gull, she's really, really bad business. I hope I don't need to stress that to you. Uh, uh, oh, I'm very nervous about her being out and about. That's all I gotta say as a pirate nurse. <laughs> would, would her records be in the record hall? The bag lady's records? Oh, the patient records are all yeah. back by Lissandra's office. Okay. Gull files that away for something that might be a worthwhile thing, especially Nasa mentioning that, you know, there were some things that kind of worked to calm her down, to, like, go back through and see if there's anything that could be used against her if we end up having to go head-to-head with her in some way that might give us some kind of advantage. Yeah. And uh, he would also ask what they could tell us about the North Tower and ways to get up there. Any Anything about that second level that would be up above where we were? Like oh, sure, any- sure. Yeah, the, the second floor of the of the Northwest Tower is, uh, well, we've, it's, it's sort of become storage for that part of the facility. There's a, there's a big, big sort of octagonal room with a, with a rickety old staircase. The, the first floor was used as uh, kind of like a day room. Uh, and you know you've described that you've already been in the actual day room, sort of a place where patients could could hang out and get a view and, and sit in peace. And then the second floor was just mostly a large open space filled with stuff that nobody had a place for. Not much up there except just a lot of big open windows, you know. And then he also describes the room where he doesn't mention uh, Debus. He doesn't mention yeah. the name, but he does mention that there was a room where there was a weapons rack. Oh, uh, that's the orderly station. So uh, all of the orderlies, that's where they kept their uh, kept their, their armor and their clubs and so forth. And it was a good sort of uh, spot to, if anything should happen in the large hall or anything should happen down in the, in the east wing, it was a great point to sort of lock up, seal up, 
uh, arm up and you know uh, hunker down if anything should happen. Uh, being so close to what you're describing as as this large group of apostles, I uh, I bet that's probably where they got a lot of their weapons that are functional. Um. They would both, of course, stress the importance to them that this group of apostles never knows that there's a way <laughs> to this part of the... And Gull assures them that this was the whole... that they took a very dangerous... I mean, he still has a gigantic gore... He still has two gigantic, like, horn wounds in his chest. Yeah. So he is still very bloodied and, like, you know... And then, at the end of that stretch, uh, Tolman would when he leaves uh, Dora to sort of bunk down for the night, he would pull you aside and say, I, I was able to locate something of what you were looking for if you feel like this is an appropriate time, but I don't know that she's in a place to process, but it's, it is, the choice is yours. Yeah, uh, maybe not tonight. We'll see how she's doing tomorrow. He, he hands over a small uh, book of rites that a priest of Verasma would have that would have uh, a collection of the, the typical rituals, you know, traditional service, burials, marriages, divorce, that sort of thing. He hands it over to you for your keeping. Gull, while he's like bedding down for the night and stuff like that, he's about to uh, flip through it, look at it, and then he stops and sort of like looks at himself and looks at like how, even though he's bloody, the fact that he doesn't have pustules and boils and stuff over himself, and like, kind of like shakes his head and jumps up, and walks out of the out of the uh, the uh, the room, and into the chaplain's room where I think that grip is still, yeah, in, yeah, and he goes, I, I just wanted to say, uh, uh, y- you should have this, and he takes his cloak off, and he hands it to Grip. And he goes, I, I, uh, I'm not very good at this, but you know, you, you, you like saved my life and saved all of our lives, like, you know, like every 10 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, Dora and me, we, we got some stuff, and Ray and me, we got some stuff, but you know, you and me are like good and easy, and you know, in this place, like that, that means something to me. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to get thick, but you know. Well, don't get too close, then. But I will. I'll take take the help that is offered. That's what I was taught to do. So, thank you. You remember what you were taught to do? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. That's a figure of speech. I picked it up somewhere. I don't know what the fuck. Get out of my face. <laughs> Idiot, sir. Gulliver kind of chuckles and, uh, you know, gives him a nod. And then he's about to walk out the door and stuff, and he turns around and goes, Hey, tomorrow, when we find out that you're okay, we're going to fucking kill Wretch Mambi. <laughs> Say it would make me sad to kill that little <laughs> fucking piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> today was not the day, though, clearly. But not today. No, I would like to snap that little fucker's neck. If Rags doesn't get him tonight, we're gonna get him tomorrow. Hey, night. Sleep fucking tight. <laughs> And with that, we sleep <laughs> overnight. I love it. <laughs> and we wake on day 10 of the campaign, the second day of Neth. And the weather outside is frightful. Eerily still. There's no wind, there's no rain. All there is is nearly continuous peals of thunder. And after you've been watching this yellow fog swirl and eddy and get blown around by the wind and refill, it just looks like a static field of yellow outside the windows of this chapel. And then boom, boom, thunder continuously interrupting you. All right, let's make some, let's make some rolls. We gotta make a heel check. 
We got a bunch of uses of the heal kit. Yes, we do. We do. Replenished, yeah. Yep. Would I would I have been able to use any of those the day before to help alleviate any healing? One per day. Yep. Well, then I probably would have tried to have done that. Let's do it. All right. What do I What do I need? Just make a heal check. What does this do to help us? What? So once every 24 hours, a person can benefit from the treat deadly wounds use of the heal skill. The use of the healer's kit that Ray has provides a plus two, and if somebody also uses the surgeon's tools, that becomes a plus three. Now you're looking to beat a DC of... 25. Probably something like that. You're looking to beat a DC of 20. If you get a 25, you also get to add your wisdom modifier to the amount healed. So you definitely want to make sure the person with the best wisdom, well, negotiate for yourself. High heal check, wisdom, however you want to go about it. I mean, I've, I've got a 14 wisdom and a heal check of 8 or 11 using all the other things. Oh, you've got, you beat me. All right. Uh, Roll is it there, up. Is there anybody else that's injured that could benefit from this? Nobody, everybody else is at I'm full a, hit points. I'm at full. Oh wow! So it's just I only me. took, the, I only took the um, cutting myself damage. Yeah. Great. Well, then I will do it. I will try to surgeon up myself. Here. So Ray, this will erase two uses from your kit. I rolled a thirteen plus eleven. That's a twenty-four, and uh, I think it's going to be. I have one final usage of my inspiration from last night to add on to it. So that is a twenty-eight. So you heal yourself three hit points plus your wisdom modifier. So that is five more hit points. So I went from five hit points at the end of the night to 10 hit points. Overnight, everybody would heal three hit points for their level plus an additional one from the chapel. So heal yourself four more hit points, Gull. So I'm at 14 out of 23. And because we're in the chapel, everyone's dreamscape is untampered with by the Tatterman. This next morning, we know that Grip's real sick. So first we can attempt to make a heal check to give him that plus four bonus on the fortitude saves he has to make. This will also tell you if he does need to make those saves. This is going to let you know definitively if you're seeing the signs of either ghoul fever or leprosy on him. Or both. Uh, that's a... 23, and I'm going to spend a point of inspiration. Hang on to it. You don't see any signs of leprosy. <gasps> Good news. However, where those, Good news, bad news. where those ghoul teeth sunk in, you notice the telltale blackening around the wound. Grip has ghoul fever. If he ever drops below zero hit points, he might pick up ghoul corruption and start hungering for the flesh of sentient beings. And if he dies, he will rise as a ghoul. And how do we get rid of that? This is the same process as these other diseases, daily saves. So now, Grip, let's Hi. make your first daily save against ghoul fever. You get to add a plus four from the treat disease that Gull just gave you. This is fort, yes. This is fortitude. So that's, I've got a cloak now. of resistance, so that's a plus 12 all day. Nice. Uh, that's an 11 on the die for a 23. You've made one successful save against ghoul fever. Nice. Now, we're at that place. Tomorrow you save again, it's gone. But, you know, you fail tomorrow, then we start going down the track. But, so no, um... No penalties. No, no detrimental nope. effects until I drop below zero? Exactly. But that danger of, as soon as you hit negative one hit points, ghoul corruption could seep in. Could? Could. Is that another save, or is that just something that happens behind that screen of yours? <laughs> uh, we'll look it up if it becomes relevant, but I, I, I believe it's a will save, buddy. I'm sorry. We'll, ch we'll check it out if it happens. It's a plus two now, though. Although, I guess you should you should have the information, because Gull would know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would be very important to know whether or not we want to make sure that he does not drop under any circumstances. Yeah. No, sentient oh, good flesh news, good sounds news, pretty good. News. good. It's a fort save. Pick oh, up against picking up ghoul corruption. Okay. So you might. Uh, That's should, my best shot. Should the worst happen, you might. Well, knock on something. I won't even finish that sentence. Because no, I'm going to curse us all with that sentence. Gull, would you carry the healer's kit? It seems to fit naturally with your skill set. 
Are you... Are you sure? You have a better heel check than I do. Mechanically Me- medic- speaking. Mechanically speaking. <laughs> and, and you are potentially a physician. And you can also just heal supernaturally, so... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. Great. It's got eight uses left. Let me put this with my other 25 kits. <laughs> <laughs> you keep track of it. Hey, guess what? What? Grip didn't take any sanity damage yesterday. <gasps> oh, you, you can try one more time too. to get rid come of on, come on, come on, your come on. phobia. This is what? Another will save? This is a will save. Well, you got a plus two now, baby. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We're all familiar with you. <sighs> it's a ten. Shame? Shame? Yeah. I mean, is a 16 potentially? That's the best I could do. I'm not going to answer that question. I only, I have, I have two shame points left for this level. I've been burning through them. As do I. And I, I wouldn't be opposed if, but just not knowing if, even if, in a best case scenario, it's going to help. Well, um, if there's a chance that you walk into a fight and don't have like a minus two to everything because you're shaken does that seem like a worthwhile yes yes it does <laughs> god damn your logic <sighs> 11 oh you still hate the slashy stuff uh not, that's an everyday thing i can do yeah until, until, until i take sanity until he takes sanity. sanity damage so gulliver will get his grit point for the day yep. We can attempt uh, attempt 39 and 10,000 and a half <laughs> on some of these magic items if you want to use oh, some, oh, yeah. some spellcrafting there, right? Great, great, great. My favorite. Um, they always go so well. What what what, what things are left to dis- to discover? Well, can Red we destiny? see what he succeeds at first and then pick what the roll is? <laughs> no! <laughs> There's the incense, right? Incense and Red oh, Destiny. Let's get I'll roll yeah, the we'll incense. Start first. with the incense. It seemed to need a warm up. Natural 20 on the incense. Son of a Damn bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Prepare to be wildly oh, underwhelmed. <laughs> I'm gonna be so excited to find it's, out what that it's not is. Champa, isn't it? <laughs> as long as it's not patchouli. Uh, incense of open thoughts. While a block of this sweet-scented incense burns, creatures inhaling its fumes become unusually receptive to thought. In still air, the incense's smoke permeates a 40 by 40 foot area to a height of 20 feet. Creatures within that area can communicate telepathically with other creatures in the area. Creatures communicating in this fashion don't need to share a language, but must at least have an intelligence of three. And the openness of mind engendered by the incense also provides a plus five insight bonus on diplomacy and sense motive checks against creatures in the area, and a minus five penalty on bluff and intimidate checks against such creatures and a minus two penalty on saving throws against mind-affecting effects. So, It's not, opium. Kinda, yeah. It's, so it's not entirely useless. I, I imagine at some point in this campaign you guys are gonna find a, a really interesting use for it, uh, but it's not as cool as some of the other things that we've been waiting on. All right, Paul. All right, Red Destiny. Here we go. Natural 20. <gasps> yeah! Red Destiny is a plus two oh, short sword. Geez. Holy mackerel, Andy. At third level, that is insane. It's insane. It is insane. That's a plus two enhancement bonus to attack rolls and damage rolls. Any any other special things? No. Okay. I, I think... Everything, that other stuff was Take the plus flavor. two short sword. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to, but because of the things you had said, I just wanted to make yeah, sure no, there wasn't... No. Okay. That was Thank all flavor. You. All right, then. Awesome swords. Any other checks that I need to make? Is that everything? Nothing else on my list. What do we do today? Is there, do we have any way to get to the second floor without going through Ratchmambi's horrible domain again? You've seen two staircases so far that lead to the second floor. The one in the main hall, total collapse, and it doesn't even look like there is much of a second floor above the main hall. And then you saw that one halfway down the east ward where the one ghoul had been trying to dig through. There's nothing, nothing there that you can get through. Hmm. Gulliver, well, uh, when you see Gulliver, he is still obviously injured. He still has like a gaping wound in his shoulder from where he got gored. But he walks over to Dora and kind of sits down next to her. And I'm sure that she still has her fox and is stroking Reynard and stuff and goes, uh, hey, hey, Dora, uh, I know you 
said like maybe there might be something that you wanted to you know like do your stuff to and find out about if I had anything if I want to learn more and uh, I uh, I do oh um, I, I don't know if we should do it in here though like the, maybe somewhere a little to go bit somewhere private a little bit more private like you know obviously we can have Grip and Ray there all right how about the chaplain's office? Quick question. Um, does ghoul fever have the same contagion? No. That, so I, I, I'm not a danger to anyone else until uh, it takes effect. You are not a danger. Awesome. Unless you eat them. Yes. Well, don't look delicious. <laughs> it's very hard for me not to look delicious. Why did you dress Especially like a banana? With this <laughs> scraping on the side of your face. <laughs> Uh, so Gulliver, uh, you know, beckons to Ray and to Grip and kind of says, come here. And, uh, ushers them into the chaplain's office and, uh, waits for everybody to get in and goes, uh, you want to, you want to do this? Of course. You feeling okay today? It would seem that Reynard and I have had a bit of a falling out, but, well... Okay. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out his wedding ring mm. and hands it to her. She takes it. And, and notably, she takes it like it is any other object. Even though she's wearing the other one. Yep. And she closes her eyes. And she begins psychometry. All right, Dora, give me a perception check. 23. You take the ring in your hand. In one hand, the other hand probably still stroking mm-hmm. Maynard. Crystal lights up of its own accord to cast light into the room. And you are slipping through the river of time. This is an item that has you know, 18 years of history. And you see a lot of moments passing by more quickly than you can follow. And then, shoo, you see a cozy, well-appointed lounge or study-type room. There's a brick fireplace, a mahogany table with three matching chairs, an antique sideboard, and a flight of stairs leading up. A man sits at the table. It's Gulliver Vaticus. Clean-cut, clean-shaven in his prime. Picture Benedict Cumberbatch at around his current age. He's in normal clothes right now, not in his daredevil get-up. Dark pants, white shirt, black tailcoat and tie. He's wearing spectacles, even. He looks surprisingly normal. And the scene itself is weirdly domestic looking because Gulliver is sitting at the table with a little boy. The kid is around eight or nine. He's pale and thin. His head's a little too big for his body. Looks like his joints are kind of messed up. He's hiding his eyes behind a mop of dark black hair. It's Ray. It's a young Ray. Gulliver is running his thumb along his wedding ring. It's clear that this has become some sort of obsessive action for him. Hey, kiddo. What, what, what do we say? Little Ray says, Tima is a hateful old witch. They both smile. Secrets have power, and this is their shared secret mantra. And it has been for years now. That's right, Brayden. She is a hateful old witch. So, uh, what what, what you doing today? Where where are you going? Down by the lake, I think. Oh yeah? Oh yeah? Both of you? Uh Uh-huh. All right, all right, all right. Well, Well, whatever you do, and he leans in close. You stay away from that house at the end of Market Street. 
That's not for little boys. It's too scary. You hear me? Little Ray nods, but it's obvious. It's obvious that that's the first place he's going to go. Now. <laughs> and uh, and say, since you've been such a good boy this week, I got I got a little present for you. He pulls out a small vial of deep blue liquid. What is it? Special juice. It's very sweet and fizzy too. It's fun. It's it's fun juice. Yeah, it's it's fun juice. Like Miss Melison likes to drink. But this this is for kids. Now I know that the hateful old witch doesn't tolerate any sweets in the guest house here, so don't tell anyone. In fact, why don't you why don't you drink it down by the lake? And little Ray smiles and nods. Little Ray leaves. And when he's gone, Gulliver smiles, rubbing his wedding ring. And Gulliver Vaticus grinds his teeth, grinds them so hard you are shocked that they don't shatter inside his head. And shoo, you're back in the office. Dora hands the ring back to Gull. He takes it and puts it in his pocket. Would you all just stay here a second? And he uh, ducks out of the room and goes, Tolman? Tolman? Yes. Would you, uh, you know that thing we talked about? Could you, could you help me with that? Is it time? Yeah. Tolman comes in. And uh, Gulliver pulls a book out of his, uh, out of his like, vest pocket and hands it to him. He takes it. And he says, uh, Dora, I know that uh, you're not Tima. And uh, you're you. And Tima is, you know, in, inside you. But uh, it still seems like something that I, I should do. So, uh, Tolman? Have you told her what we are doing? Oh, uh, yeah, um, I, I was gonna divorce Tima. She isn't here. She'll she still here. need to be here? Does she need to consent to this? I, th- I thought you were divorcing Dora. Well, you know how you've been helping Dora? Yes. Well, she also had in addition to the thing with the fox. <clears throat> that is something I told the four of you, the three of you, sorry, you weren't there yet. In confidence, it is mine to tell or share, not yours. Can you give it a second, Tolman? He, he leaves. <laughs> That's a good point, and I, uh, I apologize. On the flip side of that, it doesn't seem fair to me that I should have to stay married to someone when you have the power to do something about that. You want to play the field or something? Is it costing you something? Yeah. What? You have no memory of being married to her other than what I just shared? We are probably the only four people in the world who even know. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what's going on to begin with, and marriage is pretty <laughs> fucking strange if you ask me, so I'm totally in the dark right now. <laughs> I... I think Tima is a very dangerous person. But I think she is a person. And I think she should be able to decide for herself. I'm sorry, Gull. I don't feel right making that decision for her. I don't think if it were you, you would feel right having someone make it for you. From my understanding of reading these, both parties don't have to have agreement. Just one. Well, then you don't need me at all, do you? I do. Because, as you just said, she's still a person. And 
She deserved to be here. Unless you don't think so now. Would you like me to allow her to come forward? I respect you. I respect your choices of who you share information about yourself, and that's up to you. I am not going to willingly allow Tima forth into the world. If this is important to you, and it is important that it happens now, perhaps we can find some way to make an accommodation. I am merely saying, I will not make this decision for her. If you don't require legally or religiously her consent, then I say do what you must. Leave us both out of it. Okay. Though so you, you, okay. If you have something you want to say, please say it. I'm trying to give everybody the ability to choose things for themselves. I'm trying to be respectful of your wishes. And uh, if, if she's a person, and you feel that she's a person inside you, then I feel like it's respectful to have this be somewhere she can witness it. Then you want me to allow her to come forward? Okay. My only concern is that the last time she came forward, she allowed Reynard to escape, and I will not. I will not allow that to happen again. So, her coming forward would mean restraint. If those circumstances are acceptable to you, and that meets your requirements of consent, for the greater good of all, those are the only conditions in which I will allow her to come forward and hear your request. If that's what you require, I accept it. Dora, am I correct that it, you don't automatically just come back, right? I believe that after a time, I would. And I can certainly try to. But I can also fail. And we know that Tima has been possibly considering having designs on our safety and security, right? Like Absolutely. She is not to be trusted. Gull, I question your urgency on this decision. Uh, considering where we're at and what we have in front of us, if we don't proceed with a divorce in this moment, can you... I suspect that girl is afraid that one of us might die without this being resolved. Until death do you part then, right? Not the same thing. You're not the same people. There's some bit, pretty big fucking things going on right now that I barely understand, but I feel like those are more pressing concerns right now than what to me right now, correct me if I'm wrong, sounds like you feeling squeamish about who you're married to, but at what is that going to, how is that going to stop us from doing what we have to do? Which I think is more important than whatever it is you're trying to do here. That's yes. how I feel. What are you trying to do here? When I'm you talk about choices. Trying to divorce Tima. Pretty simple. If you all don't think it's a big deal, then why are you making it into a big deal? Because bringing her here from what we've seen has risks. And is it worth it? Is it worth potentially something going awry? And what if the restraint fails? What if Reynard gets away again? What I'm more concerned about Dora's well-being than I am whatever this divorce accomplishes. I'm respecting Dora's wishes here. She's the okay. one saying that the only way that she'll be a party to this is if she lets Tima come forth. She is not voicing her wishes. She is voicing her accommodation for your wishes. Let's be clear on that. We are all here for you and your desire. 
I question why now, why it's so important. Look, I, I don't know that this is true, but this is something that I, that I fear about what I did before. Based on everything I know about Gulliver Vaticus, he used people, he twisted their minds and controlled their bodies. And I don't know this, but I believe that Gulliver Vaticus bought the body of Dora and put Tima into it. And I don't want Tima to have any rights to that body. And the idea that I took that choice away from Dora, it thickened me. So this is the closest thing I can do to try to give that freedom back. Gulliver, I very much appreciate where your heart is. And I would hope that if I offer you absolution, that that would be enough. But we don't know the truth of why Tima and I share this body. We simply don't know. And I maintain that I have no right to consent to this ritual on her behalf. And can only repeat that I think it is extraordinarily dangerous and very likely fruitless to invite her forth. I believe that to her, it will merely be an opportunity to hurt, to wreak havoc, and potentially to seize power. She can do everything I can do. I believe the only reason she didn't last time is that she was so surprised to be allowed forth. Give me a knowledge religion check, Paul. This is a 10. 10. So just watching what you just jotted down there as Ray is watching this exchange happening and Gull has in his hand a book of the common rituals for the Ferozman church. Mm-hmm. You are reminded that those kind of rituals run a broad gamut of things that we would consider sort of more uh, pedestrian, civilian type things to things that are more deep and profound like rituals of atonement, rituals of clearing the soul of past mm-hmm. misdeeds. Um, you're aware that such things do exist for what that's for what that's worth. Thanks. The word I wrote is absolution. Ray says, Gull, I hear and I understand your purpose a little bit better. I think what you would really benefit from is some sense of absolution, atonement, who we were, and God knows I'm struggling with this too, and I know you are, Grip. Who we were has uh, a bill. We, we have a bill, uh, a, a red ledger, right? We've done stuff. We know that we have. We don't know the details, and we don't know how or why. Whatever you've done, Gull, and we have to believe this, is that we are different now. And if you're willing to work with me, I would love to help you find your way to making some peace with this unknowable, terrible past. But we have to press on. This is not the time to be seeking our own spiritual salvation. We are in the middle of a fight for our lives, for the lives of everyone in that sanctuary and we can't risk the vanity of our own spiritual comfort we can't risk everyone's lives for that please let's let's continue to be aware of our growing knowledge of of who we were with some sense of hope that now that we know, with maybe some perspective and maybe through going through whatever it is we're going through, that we're going to be different. And I will help you as I help myself along that path. Ray, that, uh, that's a very generous thing to, uh, 
to offer. But I gotta differ with you on one major point. If there's not a time to stand up for your ideals and the things that are important to you, if it's not in the middle of life and death, when is a better time to stand up for them? When it's easy? When it doesn't have a cost? You're not standing up for a cause, Skull. You're, you're trying to clean your slate. And it's vanity, my friend. It is vanity. There are bigger things than your guilty conscience to deal with right now. I'm sorry. Okay. You know what we could do, though? I think I know what you're thinking. We could kill fucking Rat Mambi. And that's the end of chapter 28. I'll see you next week. Bravo. Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. Fantastic. Did we level? Ha <laughs> <laughs>